Welcome to the King's Island Central Podcast. KICentral.com is King's Island's ultimate fan site. Now, here's your host, Robbie Zerhusen. Welcome to episode 12 of the King's Island Central Podcast. The early years of the King's Island and Miami Valley Railroad. Joining us tonight is Dennis Larrick, KIC username KIMB1972, and Brad Perdue, NDI4KI. How are you? So, Dennis, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, when I was two years old, my dad bought me a Lionel train. Now, what's a two-year-old going to do with a Lionel train? He bought it for himself. But it was just like a woman. It ran over my hand, and once it hurt me once, I couldn't leave it alone after that. So... <laughs> I've been into trains ever since then. And the opportunity to, to run a real steam engine came along in 1971 when I met Lou Brown. He had a little small 15 inch gauge train in Waynesville running around a park. And he, I went down and I said, hey, maybe next summer I can come down and help you. And he said, no, I'm afraid I've sold the train. I'm gonna run the trains at Kings Island. I said, oh, can I come up there and help you? He said, well, you can ride right to the rides department and see what they say. And so I did over Christmas. Went up to see the park, and rest is history. So obviously, you've been going to Kings Island since that first year then, huh? 19, well, December of 71 is the first time I saw the park. It was still a mud hole at that time. And Al wow. Weber, who later became the general manager, gave me a tour of it in his yellow Volkswagen Beetle. <laughs> wow. Very cool. Do you consider yourself a roller coaster enthusiast? I did join Ace uh, in the early 1990s and stuck with them for maybe two or three years until they raised the dues by about 50%. And then I decided I didn't need them anymore. <laughs> but uh, I did go to one of the conventions when they opened the big wood coaster down at Kentucky Kingdom. And I think I cracked a rib on that. So I still <laughs> like coasters. I like Diamondback because it, the uh, B&M uh, seats fit my back really well. And I don't have to worry about my spine problems. Right. So, yeah, I love coasters. In fact, I live right out near um, Claremont Steel Fabricators, where they build all the B&M track. Really? And it's pretty sad to go past there right now, because there's only about three pieces of track there, and they're all rusty. <laughs> so you've been going to Kings Island before it was actually open to the public, but what is your favorite ride at the park besides the, the train, obviously, well, obviously uh, that you love to ride? Yeah, the Beast would be my second choice because I went back in 1978 as a consultant in the marketing department for a short time, and I would go out at lunchtime and watch them build it. So hmm. that would be my, my number one choice, I guess, is the Beast. Hmm. So what exactly is your connection to the Kings Island Miami Valley Railroad? I was Kenny Van Meter's fireman on the very first run it made on April 29th, 1972, the very first day the park ever opened to the public. And it was quite a run. We had uh, six crew members and four passengers that day. The, the crew actually outnumbered the passengers on the first run. It was a cold, <laughs> wet morning, very misty that day. Very few people in the park, even for the opening day. And uh, we weren't the most efficient in the world. We ran one train with four passengers and after Kenny and I pulled out, Lou and his grandson, Randy, pulled out with the other train with four more passengers. They probably didn't make a lot of money off of us that morning. So they ran both trains first opening day. Yeah, we ran both of them for a whole few weeks there. Yeah, we, we had to catch on to this thing that it cost money to run them. 
So you mentioned earlier that you're, you've been in love with trains since you were two years old. So do you consider yourself a rail fan? I am what they call a live steamer. I built my own locomotive. I have a 750 pound engine that I built from scratch starting in 1998 and it's still not done. And it burns coal. It's a working steam engine. And I haul it around the different tracks around the country and play with it. So, yep, I'm definitely a rail fan. That's really interesting. You probably can't see it too well behind me, but I have a train going around my basement. Cool. LTV? Uh, it's actually a Lionel. Or Lionel? Okay. Nice. Lines. Very nice. What gauge? O gauge. And then there's also a train table I'm building in mm -hmm. HO. Nice. Very cool. So I, I take it you go to Entertainment Junction ever so often? Once in a while I'll go up there. Yeah, I, I do have a mountain that has my name on it because uh, when you first walk into it, the mountain on the left, I sprayed all the foam on that one day. Uh, oh, wow. I didn't get to volunteer up there very often, maybe a couple Saturdays, but I did go through $1,500 of foam building that one mountain. Wow. wow. <laughs> so what is unique about the Kings Island Miami Valley Railroad that maybe no one else knows? Well, it did start out rather unusual. I think only Kings Island and Worlds of Fun had a one-station railroad that I can recall where they went out and they had all the actors and the like. So that was kind of unusual because most of your theme parks have two or three stations and they used it for, for transportation. And thankfully they did build the water park station because that probably saved the ride from extinction down at King's Dominion. And they pulled the train out there because it just didn't have the ridership they needed and they wanted the space for coasters. So King's Island started out being unusual in the fact that it was a single station with, with live actors out there and later oh. fiberglass. So how many years did you work? I was only there the first two years, 72 and 73, and then life got in the way. Uh, at the time, I was training to be a school teacher. So if I'd have got to that point, I think I would have come back for several summers. One of the guys that I trained there was a school teacher, and he stayed for, I think, 15, 20 years, something like that. Kind of wish I could have. Now, they talk about um, on the train that it was converted to propane did that happen before it came to the park or was that something you guys did when it got there no actually they were built for propane from those are brand new trains they are not old trains that were restored oh okay they were brand new from scratch built in 1971 over in a on a basically what looked like a big horse farm near pittsburgh um, a guy over there had a metal products uh, place he, he built conveyors for factories and he was interested in trains and he started building some small ones and then he built some bigger ones and then he built some bigger ones and he finally built 25 of the ones the size of Kings Islands. But those were brand new trains built specifically for Kings Island and they've been propane from the get-go. Gotcha. Did you visit Coney Island and get a chance to ride the old Coney Island and Lake Como Railroad? Actually, my dad took me to Coney before that one was built. So I never got to get on the Coney Island and Lake Como. I wish I had. I've, I've walked around where the track used to be. I've walked through the tunnels and the like that are still there. I was just going to say those tunnels are still there. Yep. And I've, I've done research on the history of the Coney Island and Lake Como. Those two trains still exist. One of them's out in Houston running at Oil Ranch and the other one's in storage down at, uh, I think it's Beach, Beach Bend, Bend Park. It? Yeah. yeah. And Bowling Green. Yep. So describe the theming on the ride in those first years, because I know 
people that write it now don't have any clue on what the theming was like. Right. When we opened, <laughs> the theming was a mud hole, basically, because the weather prevented them from getting much done. The park was really behind schedule and getting things done uh, before opening day. And when we opened, they had the two settlers cabins next to the engine house. And that was basically it. There was no uh, animation or anything. And so the first year, the theme was basically um, you know, the Midwest being settled, I suppose. You had a bear in the woods, you had some deer, you had an Indian burial ground, you had a wolf, you had some settlers with a lady stirring a pot out in front of one of the cabins. And you had old trapper Charlie Flat who was sitting on his porch and he would suddenly get shot by an arrow through his chest. And then we had a few um, Indians that popped up from behind the mountains and they shot propane rifles at us. And one late night, about 10 o'clock, one of them caught fire and had a sort of cremated himself as he come up from behind the mountain, which is rather creepy. Um, so at the, at the beginning, it was just the, the animation they brought up from Coney. The, the Coney animation was built by a theatrical company in Morrison, Colorado. And they were in the last few years uh, buying only stuff that they could transfer to the new park. So they did bring the, the uh, Coney animation up and set it up at Kings Island. Uh, the first thing to go up was a beaver dam where the beaver would cut the tree down and it would splash into the pond. And uh, of course it took a while to get the, the timing right. Sometimes the beaver would be standing there and the tree would come up in his face. Sometimes he'd cut it down and come right back up again. You, you weren't quite sure what was gonna happen to the beaver dam for a while. So they got all that stuff working and then they decided to build a fort, Fort McHale out on the loop out there. And they put two cannons in the blockhouses on either end. And those cannons were propane and they were timed to a water jet or an air jet under the pond. And they would fire and it would appear that the cannonball would splash in the water. Of course, the timing was off on that too. So sometimes the water, the cannonball would hit the water before the cannon went off. <laughs> Sometimes the, uh, the right-hand cannon would fire and the right-hand splash would come up, so it looked like it shot a curveball. Um, it was kind of fun to watch that for a while. Then one of the guys got the idea, let's build a Gatling gun. So they attached that to the wall of the fort, and for a couple of days, it worked just great. Then one day, it decided to blow up and take a chunk out of the fort. <laughs> so that was also entertaining for the crowd. And after that, they got it working and it worked fine for a while. So the animation was the theme in the beginning. Well, along about two months in maybe, the guys over on the 10 man canoe got bored because they were supposed to get a lot of this animation, but Ed McHale, the park manager, loved the train and he took it away from them and put it on the train. So they came over and decided to hold up the train one day. Now, they weren't allowed to do that, but they decided to do it on their own anyway. <laughs> they got in trouble, but the park looked at it and said, hmm, maybe we need to hire some people to do just that. So they hired some actors. And the first year was basically us shooting the Indians, which, of course, you would not do today. But we had this one kid. Um, his name was Mark, and he called himself Running Bear, B-A-R-E, because all he wore was a loincloth. <laughs> and... Uh, I mean, they were on the edge of political correctness back then. Today, you would never get away with it. But they, they had slogans on his back written in lipstick, like for a good deal, see Cherokee motor sales and things like that. And wow. uh, 
yeah, today you wouldn't get along with that, would you? <laughs> but we would shoot at him, and uh, he had a, a pile of sand trucked in so he could hide his, he his head in the sand when, uh, when he got shot, you know, like an ostrich. And after a while, he got tired of attacking the passengers. He thought he'd attack the engineer. So we're going along the curve back there, and he's running alongside the engine cab. I'm running. Kid, kid by the name of Matt is uh, firing for me. And Mark comes running up right next to the cab, and Matt had the greatest aim with a grease gun. I tell you, got Mark right in the face. Oh, my. So uh, Mark decided not to attack the engineer anymore. He decided to attack the front of the engine. And what he didn't know is we had these drain cocks on the bottoms of the cylinders to drain all the oily hot water out of the bottoms of the cylinders. So I opened those up when he came up to the front of the engine. He ended up rolling down the hill. Well, anyway, <laughs> it was a lot of fun that first year. And uh, it was sort of wild and woolly. The entire park was wild and woolly. It was a family-owned park in the beginning. It was a very small park. Uh, if you subtracted the train, the park was probably two-thirds the size of Disneyland when it opened. It was a very small park, but it was run by an oligarchy of several families that had intermarried, and it was very much a Coney Island grown-up. Uh, by the second year, they decided they would have a lady that would play the part of Miss Jessica, and she was a down-east girl that was going to the Midwest to start a new life, and they would, she would ride around with us, and they had a recorded spiel, you know. And uh, one of the ladies that played Miss Jessica was Sue Perkins, who later became Miss America, which was kind of cool. You know, I got to work with a Miss America. And at the end, they had some bandits. Right before you come into the station and make the last turn, there was a ravine down there. They had a bandit cam cabin, and the bandits would come out, and they would attract, attack the train and stop the train and, and uh, throw Miss Jessica over their shoulder and haul her away and... They had these two young ladies, Jody and Judy, that were wearing, uh, here we go, here we go again, political correctness, right? But they had them in red satin miniskirts and fishnet types and tights, and they were uh, uh, carrying whips. So, uh, <laughs> you know, like I said, it was, it was a very different world back then. You wouldn't yeah. get away with that today. But we got attacked all the time. And uh, once in a while, Denny Spiegel, who was assistant general manager, would take the front office staff and dress them up and they would come out and attack us instead of the actors <laughs> the front office would get into it well one day we got wind of that ahead of time so i stopped the train clear back at the far end of the place where they couldn't uh, hear me and i got back on the pa system and let the crowd in on what was going on and when we got up to the robbery site denny spiegel and his gang came running out and wanted to stop the train and, you know, yelling, stop the train, stop the train. And we went right on by and 400 <laughs> people stood up and said, hi, Mr. Spiegel. So, <laughs> I actually saw Denny at a Chamber of Commerce meeting probably 10 years ago and finally confessed that I was the one that did that to him. Oh, he didn't know, huh? He didn't know who did it. Nope. How did he react? not get fired for that. Mm-hmm. So that's what it was like in the early days. And then I guess a couple of years after I left, um, they, they uh, didn't have the supervision they needed and they stretched things a little bit and they had a shotgun wedding. And finally they got rid of the actors. They felt they were a liability. Did any, uh, any of the actors ever get hurt? Jumping um, off the There train? was a day when two of the Indians were running across the beaver dam, which was a rocky little pond they had up there. 
and they fell in and busted up their knees. And so we went up and made our way around the loop and came back past the beaver dam again in the same spot. And they were limping out of there with blood running down their legs. And the passengers just thought that was the most realistic thing in the world, that that was a really cool effect that they were doing. <laughs> well, if you don't know, you don't know. You don't know, you don't know. They thought it was for real. Uh, well, we kind of talked about the theming. So after they got rid of the um, actors and such, did they do anything different or is it the same as it is today? I think, as I recall going back and seeing the place during the Paramount days, it just became a weed grown ride through the woods out there. There wasn't much at all. And then after Paramount, uh, of course, in 89, they changed the track and turned it into a, a, a transportation ride. So I think they've probably cleaned it up. They, they certainly added the uh, Golden Lamb in. They've added uh, another store there next to the old place that used to hide the propane tank. Um, they've added to some of the theming out there, but they really haven't done a lot with it that I've seen. Yeah. So you mentioned the 1988 or 1989 uh, track when they changed it uh, to make room for waterworks. Mm -hmm. Tell us a little bit about that change and what we're missing now well i wasn't a part of it but um i think it probably saved the ride from extinction i think it was a good thing um for the rail fans it's kind of cool because the two trains pass right there at the grade crossing now so they love that yeah uh the one thing they probably screwed up on is putting a station on a tight curve because that's really hard on the machinery and hard on the track to start a train up on that curve on that second station, but uh, really? yeah, not good for them, but uh, well, it is what it is. You know, they just have to pay the price of doing a little more maintenance because of it. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I don't think you're missing a lot, except the live actors were a lot of fun. It would be kind of neat to bring some of them back. Do you know how many feet of track they removed? Oh, at one time I did. I think we were at about a one and an eighth mile when we started, and we're just a little over a mile now, so it didn't change it a whole lot. I'm sure it probably took out a couple hundred, maybe 300 feet, I would suppose. Oh, okay. I do remember they gave us a guidebook in the first year and told us all the facts about the train, and for some strange reason, I still remember there were 21,739 spikes in the track. <laughs> wow. You mentioned live actors, Brad. Did you do Winterfest in 2005? No. Because they had live actors on the train. And they would sing, and then they would stop right before the train shed, and they had a house set up, and it was a soldier going home to be with their family. So they would get off the train, and they would sing a song, and then the train would move. Hmm. I much would prefer that to the current 12 days of Christmas that they do during Winterfest. <laughs> I haven't been up to Winterfest in many, many years. I think I went to the very first one and maybe one more and that was about it. So when we get back to that, I want to go up to it. So what I is noticed the, What's that? Go ahead. I noticed they put some really ugly boxes over the cylinders to insulate them for cold weather. If you look at the front of the engine now, they've got square cylinders on them instead of round cylinders like a locomotive should have. But I'm sure they had to do it quick and cheap, and that's what happened. Yep. So what is it like to run the trains at Kings Island? 
Oh, they were full-size trains. Uh, a lot of people think those are, those are two-thirds scale models. They aren't. The Coney trains were half-size models. But the ones at Kings Island are what we call full-size narrow gauge. Back in the 1870s, you had small towns, for instance, Georgetown, Ohio, that didn't have enough business to support building a full-size railroad. So a lot of towns built what they call narrow gauge, which was 36 inches between the rails instead of 56 and a half. They were smaller trains, lighter track, lighter bridges, sharper curves, less fuel. Just uh, when it came to capital investment, it made a lot of sense. Now, after a few years, they figured out that the cost of shipping or changing freight from the 36 inch car to the 56 and a half offset what they saved. But we were, you know, Cincinnati was known as the narrow gauge capital of the world for 10 years in the 1870s, about 1875 to 1885. We had five narrow gauge railroads in Cincinnati and we hosted the national narrow gauge convention twice here. So the trains at Kings Island are actually full size trains, but they are narrow gauge. The first locomotive that went into Lebanon, Ohio on the Miami Valley Narrow Gauge Railroad uh, was what they called a Baldwin Locomotive Works Model 818C. And they had a little brother to it called an 814C. And it's, and it's interesting, Kings Island's engines are 814Cs. They have the same size cylinder, same size boiler, same size wheels as an 814C that you would have found around 1875. Wow. So they, they are full-size locomotives. Obviously they fire on propane to keep them a little bit cleaner, but pretty much everything else about the trains were authentic. It had Stevenson valve gear that you had to hook up, sort of like a transmission on a car. Um, you had to watch your water level. You had to watch your fire level. Once in a while you had to watch the track ahead of you if you had time, you know. Um, it, it, they were like running full-size trains. I really enjoyed getting paid for my number one hobby. <laughs> what was the most difficult thing about driving a train? Uh, heat. Uh, when they were new, the firing mechanism was actually in the cab. It wasn't in the firebox. They had oh. this gigantic torch about six inches in diameter that blew in through the fire door, and it sounded like a jet engine all day long. And it would get up to 130 degrees in the cab sometimes. I used to go through a milkshake glass full of crushed ice almost every trip. It wow. was noisy and it was hot in there. They've since changed the firing mechanism to something that's a lot more efficient. Hmm. Are there differences between running each of the engines? Like, are there subtleties with them? There are subtleties in every engine. You can build a hundred of them to the same plans and every one of them will have a personality. And I don't know what their personalities are today because I haven't run them in 50 years, but in the early days, 19, the green one was much easier to ride, uh, much smoother to ride, more fun to run, uh, just responded better. But number 12 always fired better. Uh, it would steam beautifully. Whereas 19, sometimes we'd sit in the station for a while, 12 was already always ready to go. So there were definitely personalities to them. And there were some small subtleties I never figured out. The cylinder drain cocks that I mentioned before on one engine, you push the rod forward to open them. On the other engine, you had to pull it back to open them. Engines were built to the same drawings. Why, why was that true? I don't know. <laughs> That's interesting. Tell us your most memorable story from working on the railroad. Actually, I can think of two that I think uh, really come back to me. One was a day that a lady came up to the cab and told me it was an electric train. <laughs> and... 
I could not convince her it wasn't an electric train. And she said the six bottles in the tender, those were, you know, that's to make smoke, but it was an electric train. And finally I got frustrated and I took her to the back of the tender and opened the little hatch back there. And I showed her the two 12 volt automotive batteries that we used to run the sound system. And she walked away perfectly happy that those two little batteries were pulling a 100 ton train around the track. <laughs> so that was the fun story. The other one was more poignant. I had a guy come up to the cab one day and he was pushing his dad in a wheelchair and the man got up in the cab. The dad had to stay in the wheelchair and look up into the cab. And you could tell dad was looking at it pretty um, wistfully. And the son explained to me that his dad had always wanted to work on the railroad, but when it came time to get a job, it was during the depression, the railroads didn't have any uh, jobs for him. So he had to go into a totally different business and never got to work on the railroad. And he had talked many, many times about what it would be like to ride in a steam engine. Well, back then our safety and insurance people, either they were a little more lax or they really didn't know what was going on, but we were allowed to give people rides if they looked like they were safe bet. So I'm sure our safety people would go absolutely berserk today, but the son and I got the father up into the fireman's seat. We took him around uh, for his, maybe his only uh, ride in a steam engine in his life. Who knows? But he got wow. his dream finally. And that day was worth any amount of pay they could have ever paid me. Right. Cool story. So have you been to the uh, Carowinds and King's Dominion to ride their trains before they were Pulled? I never made it to King's Dominion. I drove around the outside of Carowinds, so I never got to try either one of them out. I've heard a lot about both of them. I understand Carowinds, theirs got pulled out because um, they were worried about a grade crossing when they added on to the Hanna-Barbera in, in area up there, so they got it out. King's Dominion, I think it just, uh, just needed the area for coasters and the ridership was down because, again, it was a one-station thing like King's Island. So it was sad that both of those were pulled out, but at least the engines have good homes now. Um, the King's Dominion engines, one has, is being restored as we speak right now to go to Worlds of Fun in Kansas City. And the other one's working for Busch Gardens in Tampa. And the Carowinds engines, one of them is, uh, let's see. One of them is at a ranch in California, a private ranch running. One of them became Michael Jackson's pet toy at Neverland Ranch, and it's now in storage in a warehouse somewhere in Glendale, California. And the third one is being restored to run in the Doe River Gorge of Tennessee right now. So the five engines from those two parks have really good homes today. Well, that's nice. What about up at Cedar Point? Tell us, you know, anything about those engines I've, and yeah, training. I I have. Uh, I did a lot of research on Cedar Point's operation in the early days. Um, they gave me a fact sheet the first time I went up there and I looked at the fact sheet and said, none of this is correct. So I got on the internet, did a lot of research for them and corrected their fact sheet about all their locomotives. Um, they burned coal up there and they, they have no neighbors. They're out in the middle of Lake Erie so they can get away with burning coal. Right. But, um, they, they still burn coal on those locomotives and the crowd loves that, I think, you know, once they brush their clothes off a little bit. <laughs> the little ride, two, two stations, um, some great animation. They, they have skeletons for their animation up there. And I've got to know a few of the, the crew via the internet and once in a while when I go up and visit. Um, they have one engine up there that um, 
we call it the Damenstein because it's just a hodgepodge of parts from several locomotives. And it has a boiler on it that was never intended to be on that engine to start with. And they didn't even know where the boiler came from. So I was able to trace down a place in Michigan that built the boiler for it. So yeah, I've been involved with the history of uh, Cedar Point's line, although I haven't got up there to visit very often. It would be a neat one to work on. And I, as I look back, I wish in high school, I would have gone up there to work. Yeah. In those days, the engine crews got to stay in the hotel that's right next to the engine house. And that would have been a pretty cool thing for a high school kid to do. Okay. Yeah, really. So do you like the, the, the propane or the uh, coal better? for authenticity well for authenticity the coal is a lot more fun my own little engine is coal but i understand the reasons for the propane it it makes sense at king's island and it certainly didn't have to do as much work to clean them up we kept those engines really spick and span the day before the partridge family filmed i was on my hands and knees with a toothbrush scrubbing the front of number 19 and uh, we could have never done that with a coal burner yeah so what goes into restoring them in the off-season? I know they do one each year. Uh, at least that's what we've been told at Coaster Stock when they've had the, um, the engineers tell, tell us about it. So each one gets um, rebuilt each season. So one, one season and the other one the next season. Can you tell us a little about that? Well, the first and most important thing on any steam locomotive is the boiler. It's the most dangerous thing if it's not in good shape. So they... They go over the boiler with a fine tooth comb. You have to scrub it out. It gets mineral deposits in it. You check the tubes. Those actually, there's, uh, I think those engines had 52 tubes that were about two inches in diameter in the boilers. Those have to be pulled out periodically and totally replaced. The boiler shell occasionally gets an ultrasound. You strip all the insulation off and you mark off a grid on the boiler and you actually ultrasound it to check the thickness of the boiler shell. Now, that doesn't have to happen very often, but once in a while you do that just to be safe. So the boiler is the first thing. Then you jack it up and pull the wheels out from under it, check all your bearings, check your pistons, check your piston rings, all your valves, reset the valve gear, fix the uh, firing mechanism, the brakes. Obviously, you have to adjust brakes every year and change out shoes. Um, when we got the trains, each car has its own brake cylinder for the air brakes. And none of them were adjusted the same way. One car would come on before the other. And we had, that was one of my first jobs at Kings Island was to get under those six cars of one train and get all the brake travel to be the same, same distance. So they would all come on at the same time. Hmm. So there's, there's a lot to a steam engine that you have to do in the downtime. Yes, they are maintenance intensive, much more than a diesel. How much pressure is on the boiler when it's running? We ran at about 180. They used to pop off at 195 when I was there. They were 200-pound boilers, nominally 200 pounds. Uh, one pop valve used to go off at 193, I think, and the other at 195. But you never want to pop them off if you don't have to. First of all, it scares the kids. Second of all, it scares the crew because I'm right behind that thing and it's noisy. <laughs> and uh, it wastes a lot of fuel. You waste a lot of BTU when you do that. Mm -hmm. So we ran them at fairly high pressures back then, but the running then and the running today is very, very different. Um, an interesting thing about steam is that the horsepower gets cheaper the higher the boiler pressure. It takes less BTU to go from 150 pounds to 180 
than it does from 120 up to 150. So once you get up to the higher pressure, your horsepower is cheaper. So when we were running heavy six-car trains and we only had one station, it made sense to run higher pressures. Now, the flip side is at the higher boiler pressure, you also have a higher temperature. So the difference in temperature between the outside air of, say, 70 degrees and the 300 and some degrees inside the boiler is more at a high pressure. So therefore, you're going to lose more heat when you're sitting still. So in the early days with one station and heavy trains, the high pressure made sense because we had cheaper horsepower. Today with two stations, they're sitting still 50% of the time. Right. And they're wasting heat. So they don't run as heavy a trains today and they waste heat a lot more. So now I think they run about 150 or so, which makes more sense for what they're doing today. Right. So on the little bit of incline, that it was like what two degree it's about uh, a one percent grade yeah it's a little over one percent grade out there yeah what is how does that affect the engines you, you would think that it wouldn't even really notice that with all the horsepower it has yeah railroads actually were very very sensitive to grades one percent was probably considered the maximum for a mainline railroad today uh if you got up around two percent that was pushing it and some of the mining railroads in Colorado got up to 4%. But I think when you get to 1%, you cut your capacity to 75%, 2 percent's around 50%. So yes, you lose capacity to pull very, very quickly as the grade goes up. And um, I know that Six Flags St. Louis has the same crowns and they pull four cars on about a 4% grade. They're pushing it. I, I have, I would guess there's times they have a hard time doing that. Hmm. Uh, with six full loaded cars on 1% and a little bit of curve, we used to have a wiggle in the middle of the hill. Um, there were times if it was wet weather, they just sit there and slip on us. In fact, one day they slipped so bad, I had to back down to the trestle and take another run for it. Oh, wow. Well, that also had to do with the fact that in the early days, the track was laid too tight. It's a 36 inch gauge railroad, but you never lay it to 36, you lay it to about 36 and a half because you have to be able to slop around a little bit. Mm -hmm. And they laid it so tight that we were actually shaving metal shavings off the insides of the rails. Oh my. <laughs> so they hired this kid to walk around with a grease stick and grease the inside of the rails, which would have been fine, except they didn't tell him you're not supposed to grease the tops of the rails. <laughs> and some wet days, it was impossible to get going with the grease on the top of the rail. So they finally got rid of him, and now they've got these little water jets that shoot on the front wheels, and that sort of takes care of the friction. Plus, they got the gauge correct now. Well, I've seen on some engines, even newer uh, regular trains that have the sand that they throw down. How does that create more friction for them to go? You would think that would make it slip. No, it, it actually creates grit under the wheels. You're compressing that sand and grinding it in just like you would take a piece of sandpaper. Imagine you're out on a skating rink. And you've got sandpaper glued to the bottom of your shoes. Mm -hmm. That's exactly what it's doing. Throwing sand under the under the wheels gives you better traction. And we used it hmm. quite a bit. We we used it quite a bit on that hill in wet days. Hmm. So do you have any other interesting tidbits to share or final thoughts? Oh, I could probably go on for a long time, but I think my greatest memories of Kings Island was how I changed while I was there. You know, I was sort of a nerdy kid. Um, pretty shy, didn't talk to very many people at all. 
And I went to Kings Island because I had the opportunity to run a steam engine. And that's what I wanted to do. And after two years, I came out of there. And yeah, I still enjoyed the trains. But, you know, I really got to working with the public while I was there. I really started enjoying working with the public. Mm-hmm. We'd come into the station and, you know, wave to the crowd. And I developed about four or five different types of waves, depending on who I was waving to. You know, the old person wave or the little kid wave. <laughs> or the I'm a teenager and I'm too cool to wave back to the engineer wave, you know. <laughs> so I, I really got uh, to be much more of a people person at Kings Island. And I would say my life changed because of those two years there. Yeah, Kings Island can can do that to you, it, even it even as just can. a uh, an enthusiast of the park. Mm-hmm. I look at it the same way I look at my high school and my college. I'm an alumni of Kings Island. <laughs> Brad, do you have any final thoughts? Just that there's several train uh, threads going on on KI Central, and mm-hmm. we all contribute to them, um, and so does Dennis. So there's lots of cool history already out on KI Central, and there's always someone contributing more and raising questions. So if there's questions after you listen to this that we missed or you'd like to know, throw them out there and Hopefully Dennis will get on and throw it, throw an answer out there for you. I don't get out there too often, but once in a while I do. I, I check it out to see what's going on, particularly the uh, the park train thread that they've got out there. Yeah. Well, this has been really a fascinating conversation, Dennis. Thanks for taking time to talk to us. Sure. I've enjoyed it. Yep. Hopefully yeah. someday I'll get back. I want to go back for the 50th anniversary. That's only a year and a half away. Let's get yep. past COVID so we can have a good 50th anniversary. Well, let us know when you go. We'll come out and film it a little bit. That would be cool. Yeah, I've already talked to, uh, what's his name, Don up there? Yeah. uh, About the possibility of going back and maybe getting to take the first train out on the 50th anniversary, maybe. I don't know if they'll let me do it or not, but I'm going to try it. There you go. Cool. Well, keep us in the loop. All righty. Thank you. I really enjoyed this. Sounds good. Thank you very much, Dennis, for coming on with us. We, We really enjoyed it. Yep. yep. There's a lot of stories I could tell. And that was yeah. only two years. <laughs> <laughs> oh, here's another question. Do you keep in touch with anyone that works on the trains? I don't know the guys up there now. I did for many years, but I don't know any of them right now. No. Okay. Yeah. Would be kind of nice. I know they were, uh, for a while, they were getting together for dinner once in a while. And I was sort of hoping that I'd get invited to that. But uh, I think I got forgotten on that one. But one of these days, maybe I'll get up there and get to know some of them again. Well, sounds good. Thanks for your time again. All righty. Appreciate it. No problem. That concludes episode 12 of the Kings Island Central podcast. As always, if you have any ideas for future episodes, please let us know. Thank you for listening to the Kings Island Central podcast. KICentral.com is Kings Island's ultimate fan site. For more discussion about Kings Island and other amusement parks, join us over at KICentral.com.